Well, welcome everyone to Westview Q&A, where we seek to respond to your questions, questions we've received through the week and questions we didn't get to on Sunday mornings during our time of Q&A. I'm your host, Ryan Simeonik, and I'm of course joined by Pastor Charlie Salamone. Good morning, friends. How you doing today, Charles? Um, it's Monday morning. You're going to ask me that every week, and uh, I'm always going to lie to you and say I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting way to 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 start the Monday with a bunch of deep questions. Yep. But it's kind of a nice way to start because it kind of energizes you, I think. Uh, yeah, I think there's some truth to that. It's yeah. still Monday, though. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I have to ask you, is your birth name Charles or Charlie? Uh, Charles. Charles? Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, you might think I'm weird, but I wanted to look this up, and I found out that the meaning of Charles is free man. Did you know that? I thought it was prince, but I'll take either one. Yeah, either uh, one works. I mean, yeah. in, in Christ, you are truly Charlie. Charles means free either way. man. Free wow. man. Okay. And, uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Google lied to me. Salamone is the Italian form of Solomon, so... I am wise, I am free, I am a prince. You're wise and free and a prince. Yep. Wonderful. Well, on that note, we will dig into the questions. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. So it was mentioned briefly during one of the questions on Sunday morning that there is this popular idea now in our society that all truth is relative. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. How do we reach people who hold this view with the gospel of Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? Hmm. You know, the idea that truth is relative, I think that, oh man, I don't like to right away say, well, here's how we argue with that position. Here's how we tell those people they're wrong. Uh, as we talked about on Sunday, before trying to challenge or correct someone, first you want to make sure you have a connection, a relationship. You have a, a certain amount of trust built up where you're able to, to speak and challenge someone and you're not going to be rejected. So Always, I think, um, if you're trying to witness and you think someone is saying something that's wrong, <laughs> you know, um, it's it's good to make sure you have the relational, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Currency. Currency. That that was it. Um, <laughs> you have that. Um, so with that being said, um, assuming like I'm talking to, let's say, my brother who can kind of think this way and the truth is relative aspect. Um, you know, something that I actually often do, I challenge that and say, I don't think you really believe that. I don't think anyone really believes that. I think, you know, if you go to the bank and you think you have a thousand dollars in your account and they say, well, our truth is that you have $8, you would never say, ah, see, I respect that because we have our different truths. Like you would fully expect there to be uh, an investigation based on evidence to determine what is factually correct. How, what is the transcendent truth that goes beyond your opinion and their opinion? And um, I think that is generally something that we believe in, uh, whether we want to, you know, admit or not, like we believe in a transcendent truth in almost every case. 
it's really just when it comes to these big questions, I think that then people are more willing to say, well, I believe truth is, is relative. And I think that there is kind of some motivation for thinking that. Um, you know, there is someone in the Bible who thought that truth was, was relative. You know where I'm going with this? No. No? Okay. Uh, there is someone in the Bible who, who uh, thought truth was relative, and he, he, I'm talking about Pontius Pilate, okay? Mm. Because you remember Jesus said, right. um, you know, uh, what did he say to, to, to Mr. Pilate that prompted that? I'm just thinking of of this because because the statement is 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 what is truth, right? Yep. Um, I, I don't recall what Jesus said. You to know, him before this that, is the though. good thing about having a laptop. Yeah, you can just look it up. Um, and it comes from John chapter eighteen, uh, verse thirty-eight, and before that it says, um, "Well, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight." to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. Uh, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. Uh, So here Jesus was saying, "I, I came to speak truth. And the truth is that he is indeed the king, the Messiah, the Savior. And uh, Pilate responded with this question, what is truth? And, you know, a question that I would ask is, what would be his motivation for saying that? Obviously, Pilate believed in truth because he's asking questions, okay? He's asking questions of Jesus. He... Uh, and later even says, you know, I find no guilt in this man. Like he is speaking in other occasions with this idea that there is such thing as truth. Everyone believes in truth. Um, but he says, what is truth? And I think there's a motivation there of Pilate. Eventually, he washed his hands of this and, and, and he, you know, allowed Jesus to be crucified and the same idea, like saying that what is truth, truth is relative, is kind of like a washing of our hands. Like, I am not accountable to uh, believe what's true, to seek what's true, to walk what's true, to live out what's true, because truth is relative. Hmm. So it's kind of like an abdication of the responsibility to actually decide what you believe to be true. That's exactly what I see. It's kind of like a... I mean, Jesus has these claims where there's these claims like we're sinners. We need forgiveness. Jesus is forgiveness. As he said, I am the way, the truth. There is no other way. That's a rather, uh, what what is the book? James, uh, Josh McDowell, like evidence that demands a verdict or, um, I forget. There's a book. The idea is that like there is a, we, there is a evidence here and it demands a verdict. Like, is Jesus the savior Will you accept him or not? Like before Pilate, Jesus is the king, the Messiah. Pilate, will you accept him or will you not accept him? And Pilate found a third option, question the whole concept of truth. And so by taking that third option, he didn't need to come to decision 
and he felt like uh, he wasn't responsible for his decision. But, you know, we know that we all are. So in summary, I think the whole question of truth is relative is a desire to escape responsibility, to escape the pressure of having to make a decision by which you're responsible for, but it's an illusion because we still are responsible to, to right. say there's no truth is to make a, a truth decision. So do you feel that people in general are, are holding to this less as a uh, robust philosophy um, that they've necessarily thought through um, that connects to everything that they believe in their worldview? Because cause, cause you are seeing this sort of disconnect with how people live and what they believe. And perhaps more of what you're saying where it's... Uh, almost like a a conflict avoidance, like internal and external, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly a conflict avoidance. Um, And it's, you know, um, it's, it sounds nice in the way of like, we have all these different thoughts, all these different religions. I don't want to say you're right and you're wrong. Um, It's nice to just say, uh, well, everyone is right with their truth. But that's actually a little more of like the hypocrisy of it kind of is because in saying that, you're also saying everyone's wrong because, you know, the people who hold dearly to that religion over there, they don't believe that their truth is one of the truths, you know, and the people yeah. that hold to that religion, they don't believe their truth is one of those truths. So you're actually the one saying, hey, um, I'm actually the one who has everything figured out. I am actually the one who understands ultimate truth. Ultimate truth is that there is no ultimate truth. Yeah. I know that. I have the superior point of view. And all yeah. these other people with their limited religion and their re- limited knowledge are wrong. I'm right. They're wrong. It, it, it <laughs> you're doing the thing me, that you're trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of Lennon's song, Imagine. I'm sorry if anybody really likes that song, but it just grinds my gears. Because it's just like, at the core of it, just feels when he's like, imagine there's no religion imagine there's a it's like it feels like at the core of it is like imagine if everybody was just like me there yeah. there'd be no confidence it's like that's kind of arrogant even even underneath this sort of guise of like well everybody you know can just believe what they want to believe but it's it's at, at the end of the day there we can hide from it as much as we want but we all still believe in objective truth yeah i i think so i think uh for some perhaps the best you can do is say i don't know what the truth is, yeah. you know, and that might be a, a reasonable, fair thing. I would say if that's your position, seek and try to find what the truth is. Yeah. Um, but that's really different than the person who says there is no, there is yeah. no ultimate truth. So I, I want to bring this into sort of the, cause we're talking about ideas right now, but let's, let's, let's talk about what do we do when we encounter someone or when we're in relationship with somebody who holds to this view, how do we walk with them through that and sort of seek to preach the gospel to them? Yeah. You know, I just went on that little philosophical rant. Well, and, I think it's you important know, though. Uh, I, I think it's important. And it, I, I think it um, ties to what you were saying on Sunday where we need to be listeners. Like, and yep. this is a part of listening, really understanding the root of why people believe this way. Right. Yeah. If I was having a conversation with someone yeah. and they espouse that view, I might not even get into the uh, the you know the philosophical debates about why that is actually uh, just not <laughs> realistic in any way. Uh, I might not get into that um, because uh, you know when you're talking with someone, a lot of times it's better to ask more questions and try to go deeper and see what the the heart motivations for thinking that is. 
because people might come from different places. Uh, anytime you are trying to witness for Christ, um, it, it really helps to have a good diagnosis before you try to, per, you know, prescribe a, a cure, as in it, it's really, really helpful to understand what's going on in the heart of the person, uh, what are they thinking about, what are they leaning on, before you try to, like, give some insight. Um, and so, to be honest, I probably would just start asking more questions. Someone said, mm. you know, truth is relevant. I'd probably just say, like, what do you mean by that? Right. Um, you know, what what leads you to, to believe that? Um, maybe it's a personal thing where, you know, my parents always fought about religion and I said I was never gonna go down that road. And, you know, it's not helpful to start talking about philosophy when this is actually maybe a more personal thing the person might have experienced and maybe touching on that um, is going to be more helpful in that situation. So I guess all I'm trying to say is uh, uh, witnessing is, is not usually about uh, philosophical arguments as much as about like making a connection and, and talking with people and understanding what's going on in their heart. So yep. ask questions, ask more questions. Very good. Um, I, it made me think of a scripture that I think might be an encouragement for us. In 1 Corinthians 2, 2 to 5, um, Paul says, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And I think that's an encouragement for us because I think within this, especially those who believe that truth is relative, this has been my experience, sometimes there tends to be this... Um, sort of free-for-all with spirituality, where people are just grabbing whatever's helpful for them in that moment. And they might see what you're talking about, you know, that sort of like, that's nice for you. Um, they might see what you're talking about with the gospel as being just another thing to maybe pick and choose. Um, but by the power of the Spirit, people can then take hold of it and realize that this is the real truth and everything else is counterfeit. And it's only by the work of the Spirit that they'll be able to do that. So there's a part of me while you're talking that just thinks, um, if we're just true to the gospel message, like we can trust that the Spirit will show people that this is objective truth. That's, you know? uh, uh, that's a, a good point. And that passage is really uh, relevant to really this question of like witnessing um, and getting into kind of like the philosophical yeah. questions, it's sometimes just really helpful to bring it back to Jesus, bring it back to Jesus crucified. And, you know, you're in this heady, abstract, philosophical place, and then just like the question, kind of bringing it back, like, well, so if you're talking with someone, so what do you think about Jesus? Yeah. Um, you know, truth is, is relevant, but but what about, what about Jesus? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, he... He died. I mean, he was a historical figure. Um, you will not find any credible historian that questions that Jesus of Nazareth uh, lived and was crucified, you know, under the hands of Pontius Pilate. I mean, I, I've I realize I'm going on a tangent here, but I, but uh, I've read that uh, uh, I forget his name. A certain historian said who's not a Christian, said that is as factually true as anything historical can ever be. Um, 
And so this man, Jesus, uh, we know from biblical and extra biblical sources, he was crucified. And I think that, well, he either stayed in the grave or he got up. Like, was the tomb empty or was it not empty? Um, you know, that's a, that's a either or. And so anyways, there has been times where I'm talking with someone and we're in this abstract philosophical place and it's yeah. like, well, so what do you think about Jesus? Right. And like, do you, th- do you think he rose from the dead or not? You know? And I don't know. I found that it can just kind of bring the conversation back to a heart conversation yeah. rather than a, a head, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like those, those head conversations are important too, I think, in the sense that um, sometimes they're barriers to people seeing the gospel. Um, but I think that then we realize that it's in the removal of those barriers that people can truly hear the gospel message or take hold of it, and, and that's what's saving. That's right? a, a good point. Um, like, I really don't want to give the idea, like, you know, we just talk heart language and everything yeah. in the head is bad. <laughs> yeah, that's like, what I'm kind of afraid some of. Some people, people kind of go that, that way, way. like, uh, yeah. you know... Uh, uh, just shut off your brain and just think with your heart like, right. <laughs> as if as if God yeah. didn't give us brains. Yeah. Um, I, I guess what I'm trying to avoid is sometimes like intellectualizing can be a defense mechanism. Yes. Where it's like rather than um, talking about like kind of like the plain truth before us, like there is a savior, a man who died who claimed, you know, the claim is that he rose from the dead and he calls us to believe in him. Um, sometimes it's like rather than talking about that personal question of will I follow Jesus, will I believe in him, like let's talk in theoreticals right. just as a way to get away from that. And and uh, so I try to gently bring it back to uh, the more personal heart conversation. It's understanding the end goal, Yeah, I think. So if you're a philosophy major listening to this, it's like God wants to use your brain. Yeah, <laughs> and that's for a good those thing. who are listening, if you don't know, I was a philosophy major. <laughs> there you and go. So uh, <laughs> University of Wisconsin. But it's like we don't rely on persuasive speech, but we allow God to use our minds, right, in declaring the gospel. But it's like what's, what's the end goal? It's, yep. it's bringing people to Jesus, right? Yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, anything else you want to say on that before we move on? Let's move on. Okay. I always got more to say, but I'm good. Good. just going to shut it for now. <laughs> uh, so uh, for our next question, this individual quotes 1 Corinthians 9.22. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul seems to talk about becoming more than just listening. Any explanations for that verse? Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's like a, um, I don't, I guess, what do you think the questions are with that? I mean, uh, I think it's, it's really, I think they just want some clarity with what does becoming mean? Because we talked a little bit on Sunday about listening to people who maybe are, um, perhaps practicing some things that we disagree with. So I think yeah. perhaps this person's wondering, okay, where does where does becoming come into okay. play? I think I get it. So uh, specifically in the context of that passage, she's saying to those who were under the law, I became as one under the law, meaning like the Jewish Levitical law, and, and to those without the law, I became as one without the law. 
Um, so really what he means by becoming, I think, is try to live under the value system of the people you're trying to reach as much as you can without sinning and compromising, of course. I mean, that's that's a given. Um, um, you know, if you're hanging out with a bunch of thieves and trying to reach them, you know, you don't join them in, you know, as let's go together, rob a place, you know, but, but in other aspects, you know, you might dress like the people you're trying to meet, you know, you might use similar language, um, and, uh, you know, things like that. If you are trying to reach a people who think it's, you know, morally wrong to eat pork and you're hanging out with them, don't order bacon, you know, like order something else. And uh, rather than, you know, create like a, a wedge. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, yeah, but part of that is listening because otherwise you don't really know. You, you could be breaking cultural norms or being or, or, or kind of acting like, you know, we said like a foreigner you know, we talked about on Sunday acting like really different from them in ways you don't realize. So by listening, it's going to help you kind of gauge like what is what does it mean to kind of sit beside this person where they're at? Um, yeah. Could you also unpack the idea of weakness? Like why is Paul saying that he's going to be weak to those who are weak? Hmm. Going to be weak to those who are weak in the context um you know i I might probably off the top of my head without giving a whole lot of thought i probably say you know if someone is struggling with certain you know struggling in a way um you know like parenting is like so hard um it's probably better for me as like a parent to go in and be like you know what you're right like just last week I had this happen and, and I was ready to, you know, do this. And it was like, it's just so hard. You know, I had to pray and just ask God for help because I just don't know how to do it. It probably be better for me to take that approach and not hiding like weakness rather than to just say, you know what? Uh, it used to be hard for me, but now I follow the Bible. And so now it's easy. And, you know, you should just be like me poor little weak person, you know, cause then it's like, okay, I don't, I can't relate with you. Your life is so different than mine. You know, I can't open up to you. I can't trust you. Actually, I remember there was a time in my life where I had a pastor who, um, he, he wasn't really approachable in the sense he was really intimidating Um, And you just got a sense that he was like this holier than holy person. You just got a sense that like this person is not a weak person. This person is someone who just really has the Christian life figured out. Um, And I respected him a ton. Okay. I really respected him, but I, I don't feel like, I had a lot of like a good like trust relationship because, um, you know, because I I didn't see weakness, and um, I'm tempted to tell more the story of that, um, but um, but it but I guess limiting it to this conversation, I think it would have been easier uh, for myself to connect with him and to be ministered by him if I felt 
if it was easier for me to, you know, to open up in that respect, um, you know, so especially when it comes to like witnessing, mm-hmm. trying to witness to someone as in bring the gospel to them, if they don't feel like they can really trust you with their weaknesses because you wouldn't understand, then, um, you know, then then they're going to less likely like trust you. And so much of, of gospel witnessing is about building that trust relationship because, like I said on Sunday, preaching the gospel is not just about preaching a message. It's about preaching a person. It's about making that heart connection with uh, on a personal level as we, you know, God's spirit of Christ dwells in us. So that connection is so important to, to fully communicate the message. Right on. Right on. Uh, let's go to the next question. Uh, we have another uh, question about a scripture. Uh, this person asks, could you please explain verse 30 of Acts 17, especially where it says that God overlooked people's ignorance in the past? So I'm actually going to pick up uh, pick up uh, here, look up uh, Acts 17.30, uh, so I can just read the passage. I think that, that might be helpful. Uh, so in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's in the NIV. Yep. Um, that actually, there's a great way to understand what he meant because he said something really similar in Acts chapter 14. Let's see if I can uh, bring that up. Um, uh, in Acts chapter 14, and this was in... Um, this was when he was in Lystra. Uh, so I think another, uh, not a Jewish town. So same idea. Um, he said, uh, in the past, uh, God let all the nations go their own way. Uh, yet he has not left himself without testimony. So the idea of like God overlooked, looked such ignorance is in, um, like, here we are in a, a world with a million, you know, such world religions and people have followed after different things where, you know, in the conversation of Acts 17, we saw like these, this way of idolatry of like, you know, bowing before statues and, and worshiping gods that are not actually God. Basically, I think God overlooked such ignorance is basically saying like, during that season of time, he let the nations continue down that path and further develop these false ideas. But now there is a new era where this message of Christ is going to all the nations. Um, so that's that's probably what I would what I would do. I would connect it with with Acts chapter fourteen, a similar sermon. Um, so, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, next question. Why does God force people to follow him or make people missionaries like Saul, who was blinded, or Jonah, who was swallowed by the big fish and sent forcefully when it should be one's personal choice? Um, well, they did choose. Uh, I mean, eventually Jonah and Paul both chose. Uh, that's important. Like God didn't mm-hmm. take over their body. True. Um, yep. What he did was he helped them see, (laughs) he helped them see what was actually, uh, um, a better option as in like, you don't have to follow me, Jonah. You can do things your own way, 
but it's not going to end well for your way you. ends in a fish <laughs> right your way ends in a fish and and uh you know right. it, and Saul's way ends up being right. blinded right how be like it's a perfect analogy for how he was already spiritually blind before yeah that. that's that's it and and this is here's something okay and it, this has been on my mind for other reasons like why do we choose to rebel against God? Why do we choose to sin? And the reason is because we are not seeing clearly. Hmm. We are not seeing what actually leads to joy, what actually leads to fulfillment. We're not seeing that. Like, uh, you know, oh, man. Like, if you had to choose between eating, like, the best of meals at the best restaurant you can imagine and eating something you found like in the toilet, um, which would you choose? You know, um, obviously you're going to choose the first one. Anyone who chooses sin over righteousness, we know where righteousness leads. We know where sin leads. Okay. We know one of them ultimately makes you happy and the other one doesn't. So if we're choosing sin, it's a blindness issue. We're not seeing clearly. So uh, when God uh, does things like blinds Saul or humbles Jonah through, you know, the swallow of a fish, ultimately what he's doing is he's opening their eyes, okay? Uh, he's not putting a gun to their head simply yeah. and saying, do it or else. He's helping them see, yeah. and having seen, then they're choosing what's better. So I think, yeah, this this part of our, actually uh, this coming Tuesday, well, people are going to hear this a little later, so I'll leave it at that. So got something planned for the men's night where we're going to be talking about this, yeah. this more. It's interesting with Jonah, too, that it's like you can see like – the fish as an act of mercy because it seems like Jonah is throwing himself off the boat being like, okay, I deserve judgment. You throw me off and the storm will stop. And I think he probably expected to die, right? Like he's being thrown overboard. He's going to die. And yeah. The fish that's comes, actually him up. a great point. Like the fish was, <laughs> fish was a mercy. the fish was saving him. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Wow. That'll Praise preach God. right there. Um, <laughs> So what was the first part of that question, though? Yeah, the first part is, why does God force people to follow him or make people missionaries? So, and, then, and then they continue. So there's this idea of, does, does God force people to follow him? Um, yeah, I think that's, again, the same, the same idea. He doesn't force anyone to follow him. Um, but what he does do in salvation is he opens our eyes to see yeah. That following him is a much more pleasurable, joyful choice. Yes. So, yeah. Praise God. Uh, so I like uh, this next question as a follow-up because I feel like it's almost like the uh, sort of opposite perspective. Um, so I'll just uh, take the first part of this question. They say, how can I feel loved by God or that he cares when I'm always the one expected to open the door when he knocks? Or when I am supposed to search for him while in this world, people don't. Shouldn't he be the one seeking us? Interesting flip side of this question. And I think it's tied to what you were saying on Sunday, where there's this idea of God says, seek and you will find, 
right? If you seek right. me, you'll find me. So I think this person is saying, shouldn't, isn't God the one seeking us? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the whole, you know, in the person's question, they reference like, why do I have to open the door? Like the whole idea is he's over there knocking. Like he's not like somewhere hiding in a desert and you need to go put on your backpack and find him. Like he's already, you know, he's there knocking. I mean, the, the son of God came to seek, uh, you know, seek Mm -hmm. that which is lost. Like he's doing like all the seeking. And so when I talk about, Hey, seek God, I'm not talking about like go on some, you know, expedition and like, maybe you'll find him. It's, it's actually much easier than that. Uh, you know, um, Romans 10, Romans 10, uh, if you go there, there's a passage and it's actually, um, when you read it, it's, it's a little curious, uh, um, uh, verse six says, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the deep. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Mm-hmm. This, this whole thing in the first part about like, don't say in your heart who will descend into heaven or who will descend to the deep, as in don't say how can we climb this big mountain that needs to be climbed in order to find God. Like, how are we going to do this big task of seeking him when it's saying like, no, Jesus is the one who did that. Like, you don't need to, to, to climb up to heaven because Jesus came down from heaven. You know, you don't have to go into the deep because Jesus already went to the deep and dying and coming back. But instead, it's right there. The word is right near your heart. It is as simple as saying, all right, Jesus, here I am, you know. So yes. maybe it's just you need a, a better understanding of what I mean when I say we need to seek God. Um, we're understanding, like, it's, it's as simple as opening the door and letting yes. him in. Yes. Uh, yeah. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Yep. Um, and we know from Psalm 23 that his goodness and love pursues us and that we'll dwell in his house forever. There's there's this pursuit of God, um, but there's this mutual pursuit where God is glorified when we seek him mm-hmm. you know that's so good so I just I find those two questions interesting one after another because it's kind of this idea yeah. of God seeks us we seek him yep. um, but but God is the primary actor in that is that is, is that safe to say yeah is that what you're saying yep amen amen uh, so next question here is, I have read that religious art, examples, stained glass, paintings can be considered a form of idol worship, and we should not use these art forms to guide or be part of our prayer life. Can you comment? Uh, I'd, I'd say that's wrong. <laughs> um, care to elaborate? No, yeah, I just, I don't see it. I mean, um, if if your religious art is something that you are worshiping, then I would say, yeah, that's not good. Um, but otherwise, 
I mean, art is a gift from God. Our imagination is a gift from God. Our creativity is a gift from God. There are, uh, I mean, sing to the Lord a new song. Like like music is art, is, is worship. Um, I think that if your religious, you know, art or symbols is an aid to your worship, if seeing that stirs worship in you and reminds you of God's truth, then then yeah, that's, let's do it. Um, on the other hand, if you are actually bowing before your picture on the wall, believing that that picture, you know, uh, is going to answer your prayers, you know, or that picture is God, then we have a problem, you know, but that's probably the, the short answer I would give. Amen. Right on, right on. Uh, so we have uh, another question here. I believe this is from about two weeks ago. And the question is, you talked about self-sacrificial love, but how can we practice that when we're burning ourselves out and feel like we have nothing left? Um, what does it say? Uh, even, even youths may fall, but the one who... Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Okay. A worship leader should know that <laughs> passage. Say uh, yes, even it. youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So the idea is, yeah, you're going to be exhausted in yourself. And that's why the greatest strength comes when you say, Lord, I have nothing to give. Um, work in me. Live in me. Where you're not trying to like provide these acts of love out of your own will and effort and strength, but rather you're, it's more of a surrender and acknowledgement that, that you don't have. Um, you don't have it. Uh, here's something. You can quote me on this. Uh, the first step very often in loving others and the first step in loving God is acknowledging that you don't and asking God to work in you. Um, so I think if you're in that place of realizing that you have nothing to give, you might be in a really good place to say, Lord, uh, uh, give me what I, what I can't do myself. Yeah, And that's what salvation's all about. Can we dig into this question of burnout, too? Because that stands out to me in this question. What should Christians do who are feeling burnt out? Oh, man. Because burnout is not biblical. Yeah, yeah. Right? Not to say that Christians don't get burned out. We yeah. do, but it's not supposed to be our, I, our sort of state that we aspire to, right? Yeah, I want to be really careful to not give the idea that, like, hey, if you're doing the Christian life correctly, then this won't be happening to you. <laughs> right. And if it is happening to you, then you need to start doing the Christian life right. Like, <laughs> like there are times when I really feel burnt out, okay? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's one of the weaknesses that we talked about earlier that, like, yeah. we have as Christians. We are, what does the Bible say? Like, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the power belongs to God and not to us. Right. Um, 
go ahead. You, can, can I ask this question? Yeah. What What are the potential reasons for burnout? And then what are the potential remedies for burnout? At Hold the risk on. of being too pragmatic. Okay. All right. I, re- I realize I'm, I'm the one who has to, you know, answer these questions a lot of the times. But didn't you just take like a little mini prayer <laughs> retreat because you're feeling burnt out? So Very maybe, I, maybe I want to give you a chance to speak on this. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, no, I'm in the hot seat. Um, yeah, you know, I think that um, there are a lot of ways that you can recognize that you're burnt out. There are a lot of symptoms and there's a lot of helpful resources to, to find out about that. Um, I find that there can be two main reasons for burnout, and I'm not a professional on this. This is just how I see it right now. One is very much one schedule and perhaps a lack of boundaries, right? Being able to do the hard work of saying, what is God calling me to in this season? And, you know, what do I need to say yes to? And what do I need to say no to? Um, some people are in a situation of life. Maybe you're doing newborn kids right now right? Maybe you just got a puppy. I know that life. Um, And there's just a lot of time is being used up and that's your reality. And you're going to have way less capacity for other things. That's what God's calling you to that season. Praise him. Be faithful in that way. Um, So it might look different for everybody, but there might be a space where you need to come before the Lord and ask him to reveal to you where you need to set some better boundaries in your life and maybe create some space for the type of self-sacrificial love he's calling you to. Like in this question, like maybe they're saying, I want to be more self-sacrificially loving to my neighbors or something like that. You need leisure to feel like you have space for that. So I think that's one thing is sort of looking at boundaries. I think the other thing, there's a type of spiritual burnout um, that can only be discerned when you come before the Lord in prayer and Some of us are burned out because we're believing lies of the enemy. Some of us are feeling burned out because we've embraced a type of legalism. Uh, Burnout can come because we have the wrong perspectives on life. And maybe maybe you're going through an existential crisis. I mean... um, For me, a lot of it was... was, was Yes, there was a lot of... um, You know, I I had to put up some better boundaries and and realize that Sabbath and leisure was important in my life. But a big part of it was I had some lies of the enemy that I was believing and I needed to hear God speak truth to my heart and I needed the Holy Spirit's working in my heart to transform me. So going away for a week of prayer, uh, for a good five days of prayer retreat was honestly life-changing, just life-changing. So... um, I think either way, if you're feeling burned out, you have to bring that bring that to Jesus, and he knows your heart better than you do. He knows your life better than you do, and ask him. And uh, I think that the remedies are within, you know, committing yourself to seeking the Lord in prayer. Um, I hope that that answer is helpful. I'm not usually the answer guy, yeah. even though I can't uh, help but make comments constantly during I'm, this. I'm glad you said that, because <laughs> I think that's the thing with, with burnout, you know, you have different lies of the enemy that you may be believing, and it's difficult to just kind of prescribe yeah. um, something for burnout when they're yeah. You really need to sit down with someone or or understand what's specifically going on that's really causing yeah. that in your life. Yeah, um, yeah. I know for myself, times I feel burnt out are often linked with me putting more. Uh, kind of responsibility on my shoulders than God has put. Hmm. Um, I reference yeah. Psalm 127 a lot. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. As in, I, God is saying, like, you don't really need to be worrying about these things. Like... I mean, you labor when I when I call you to labor, you know, as in like I, I have to do my nine to five like everyone else. Like yeah. I need to work when it's time to work. And when it's not time to work, I can rest because I'm not the one who really is responsible for building the house. Yeah. Um, so just understanding it, there's a little bit of like humility involved, kind of just like understanding your place and understanding yeah. that it's it's actually a small place, you know. Amen. Yeah, you know. you know, I want to be transparent here too because people need to understand that like just because we work in ministry doesn't mean we're some, you know, superhero Christians. Um, we struggle like the rest of y'all and uh, sometimes even more so because of the places that we're in. And for me, it's, it's you know, I needed to be re- reminded of my belovedness in Christ because I was in a place of seeking to earn the affections of God. And sometimes that's even subconscious. You don't realize that's what you're doing. And then you realize it's like, wow, I'm, I'm striving here after what I already have, you know? Hey, there was a certain uh, article that you read during your uh, yeah. prayer retreat, retreat that really spoke to you. Mm-hmm. What was the name of that? It's just called wanna... The Unbusy Pastor by Eugene Peterson. So just Google it. You'll find it. The Unbusy Pastor. You you don't have to be a pastor to read it. Eugene goes in hard. Yep. (laughs) It's really good. So, yeah, go ahead and read that. The Unbusy Pastor by Eugene Peterson. Busyness is not a biblical virtue. There you go. It's the opposite. Yep. So if you're feeling burnout, come before the Lord and maybe just talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, it's important. Um, but don't tell yourself you should not be experiencing burnout because that's not helpful. <laughs> you are. So bring it to Jesus. Yep. Uh, I think that's all that we have time for now. That was, um, sounds good. This has been a great conversation. Yep. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or a comment about something we talked about on this episode, send us an email, please at ask at westviewmontreal.org. That's ask at westviewmontreal.org. We would love to hear from you. Grace and peace, friends. Shalom. Shalom.